If you uh, can see the title up there, it's Riddles. And uh, naturally, from different people, I've had different things. And I was first going to go around and let everybody do a riddle. But we're teaching in Proverbs. You need to stay with the, uh, the uh, outline. Um, when I suggested these topics to Jason, he called me up and he says, uh, Dad, did you make a mistake? You put riddles down. Do you mean something else? I said, no. And he said, well, okay, okay. <laughs> and I thought then, I said, maybe, maybe I better not do this. I had been looking through some literature in Proverbs and there were things that were listed as riddles. And I thought it'd be interesting to do it because when I've read it, I've never placed this as riddles. Maybe I've missed it. So we're going to try to get through it. When you um, look at this, what we're going to be doing tonight is there's going to be groups of four. Um, in the verse, there'll be four things. And, and Agor, you know, who we talked about in the beginning, was one of the writers along with Solomon. And if you turn to chapter 30, that's what we'll be studying from part way and looking at these four things and uh, trying to work through them a little bit at a time. Some people have said that with the um, idea of groups of four, that they call them a, a tetrad, which is a group of four. So um, I don't use that. I just say groups of four. But um, if you turn to 30, we'll, we'll be reading that in just a minute. When you uh, think of it about riddles, it's interesting that in chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, to understand a proverb and enigma, the words of the wise and what else? They're riddles. And it's interesting that that would be in the very first chapter and how many times have we read Proverbs and probably missed the part about riddles? When you look at a definition, um, we always like, uh, like the dad jokes on riddles and things like that. But it also can mean a difficult question, a parable, an enigmatic saying or, or a question in, in that. So what, what is being said here is to understand a proverb, we, we see some riddles. So if you turn to uh, chapter 30, the first set that we come to are classes of evildoers. If you look at chapter 30 and verse 11, we're going to read 11 through 14. Chapter 30, 11 through 14. I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, and oh, how lofty are their eyes. Uh, eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives 
to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among men. As we've been studying Proverbs, we've seen different Proverbs that involve some of these same things. And when you look at the very first part in uh, verse 11, it's basically talking about a family member that does not bless the mother and curses his father. Where have we heard this before? Not enough coffee tonight. What is the fifth commandment? You shall, thou shalt honor thy father and mother, right? And in, under the old law, what would happen if this child was not a good child or was involved in things that the parents had to, to, to do something about it? What would happen to that child? They stoned. So here he's giving us something about it, about despising uh, parents. If you look at, as I've got it up there in chapter 30 in verse 17 uh, of the same chapter, it says, The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. And we understand uh, that there needs to be respect for mother and father. But it's funny that he classes these evil things. And the very first thing he starts about are the children not taking care of their parents. Isn't, Isn't that interesting? If you go to chapter 20, just a few chapters over and look at verse 20. Chapter 20 and verse 20. It says, whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out into what kind? Into what? Utter what? Darkness. Mine says deep darkness. If you go over into the New Testament and you look at 2 Timothy 3 and verse 2. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 2. I'm going to start with verse 1 in 2 Timothy 3. It says, But know this, that in the last day perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Isn't it it interesting? When are the last days? We're in it now, aren't we? So there's not much of a change, is there, uh, from what we see from um, the Old Testament? Well, the next thing they go over is blind to their own faults. In verse 12, when you go back to 30, just to, to reiterate it, in verse 12, it says that, that is pure in their own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. You know, when, when we talked about this, we talked about, uh, and we'll talk a little bit farther, that there is a certain part of people where we talked about in the very first lesson were fools. And fools didn't take any regard to what they were doing, did they? 
They thought everything's going good. I'm in charge. I don't care what people say. Well, if you go back to 21 and 2, chapter 21 and verse 2 of Proverbs, it says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. You know, when you're saying that I know the way, whose place are we taking? God's, aren't we? We're saying that we know better, and it must feel okay because it's going fine. If you skip over to 1 John 1, real quick, 1 John 1, and look at verse 8. It's a warning to people that think, well, I feel okay, everything's okay. In 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and what is not in us. The truth is not in us. We're, we're lying, aren't we? Here's this class of evildoers. The next one you're well aware of because we've talked about it is arrogance or pride um, being issues that evildoers have this haughtiness, uh, this pride and arrogance. We know, uh, as we read in, in 13, uh, lofty in their own eyes. And in 617, we read that a couple of weeks ago where the Lord says that different things are abomination, remember? And he talked about a haughty look and, and really pride. If you go to 21 and verse 4, Proverbs 21 and verse 4. It says, A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are what? Sin. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit gave men these little short verses sometimes that were right on? They're right on target, aren't they? Even for us today, that how would he know that? How would they know that from back then? And yet, we know that this is a problem. The, the last one that he talks about is consuming the poor is what I call it. And if you just skip back to 22 and verse 16, 22 and verse 16, it says, he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. It's interesting that heart, poor people, arrogance, uh, self-centered is all involved with these uh, classes of evildoers, but I've left something out. When I read these to you, what did it say? Mine says, this is a generation. What does that mean? Any guesses? No, no gold medals. Do what? And it really doesn't change from generation to generation, does it? 
I think that's what a little bit is what's pointing us out, that here in every one of these verse, 11 through 14, this is a generation. Well, we are a generation, aren't we? We are part of the, gener- the new generation, or if that's what you want to call it. And these things can happen, can't they? They happen every day. And it's interesting that they called them riddles. Any comments about this? Yes, sir. say maybe as you as a child compared to as I was a child you know there's about 100 years difference there so uh, <laughs> no I'm just kidding um, but he's talking about us vintage people again <laughs> no but but you know when when even going back even to the you know I guess what 40s 50s and 60s which I wasn't a part of then but you know from my understanding is there was God was a lot more center of the home than what it is today and so stuff like despising of parents wasn't tolerated as much back then as it is today and so on. They didn't stone them, but they sure did use um, a belt on them, didn't they? <laughs> I think, too, what it does for us is we know that when you read in Corinthians and Romans, the Old Testament is given to us for what? Learning, isn't it? It's for giving us an example, isn't it? To tell us things that are happening in different generations. I mean, you can, you can put classes of evildoers and change it to drug users, uh, other things currently, uh, but it boils, it comes back down to normal arrogance, pride, and, and other issues like that. Any other comments? Um, the next four that he goes over, if you are still going back to Proverbs 30, in Proverbs 30 and verse 16, we start there and and, um, most of it's right there in 16. Um, I'll start at 15. The leech has two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied Four things never say it is enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire that never says it is enough. You know, it's interesting that one verse can have all that in there. And and there's a factor here that, that I read that first part is all of these refer to lack of satisfaction. And when you read that, and you read it a couple of times and you think about it, there's a part of this that talks about covetousness, isn't it? There's a part of this that talks about greed, isn't it? When you look at these things. And things that we probably don't think of, although we're going through a pandemic and there's been loss of people. When you think that the grave is never satisfied, what do you think is going on there? Is it, is it just saying, well, it's going to happen? 
it, it comes back to the worldliness that, that people are, are sometimes worried about the grave. But we all know the preachers have preached to us. Uh, I believe it was Leland that says there's two things we're, we have to do, pay taxes and do what? Pass away, die. So the grave is always doing what? It's always snatching people, isn't it? So there's a part of us that needs to be prepared, too, don't, don't we? Because we can't take a U-Haul trailer with us. We can't load the top of the car, can we? And you've heard me say this. It, it's a very humbling thought for you and I to think that our destiny is what we do in this life. We don't have a purgatory. What we do in this life, it's going to determine our destiny, isn't it? And the grave wants more and more people. When you go to 27 and verse 20, this kind of fulfills to me what it's talking a little bit about the grave. Um, some versions might say Sheol is never satisfied. But in 27 and verse 20, it says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. You know, if, if we're not prepared, it's going to be a, a bad situation, isn't it? Well, when you look at the barren womb, um, I put Genesis 30 and verse 1. And when you, we don't have to go there, but remember Rebecca and Jacob. And Rebecca is speaking in this verse. And she basically says, give me children or else I, what? I die. There's concern, isn't there? There's concern of life here. There's concern that I'm not doing what my duty is. And the, it happens a lot, doesn't it, in the world we live in. It's something that we, we have to understand. The interesting thing, too, when you come and go back to chapter 30 and, and look at verse 16, it, it not only the barren womb, that, that things aren't satisfied, but the earth that is not satisfied with water. So you look at the earth, and, you know, we're fairly lucky here in Murfreesboro of getting rain. Uh, you, a lot of people don't water their yards. Of course, because I said that, you'll say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But what it's saying is the earth, in order to survive, has to have water, don't we? Water for, for our crops to eat. Water for us to drink. It, it's a consistent thing. So in a way, it's talking to us, isn't it? That it has to be some production here. That it's never satisfied with the water. It's got to have the sunlight to keep going. And then when it comes down to the fire part, that's interesting as, as far as it's, it's saying is, it's saying that the fire... And that fire that never says it is enough, you know, we can feed a fire and keep it going for a long time, can't we? 
We've, we've talked about things that were feeding fires of gossip, didn't we? We talked about feeding fires of pride and other things like that. So it can, it can go a lot of different directions. Any, any comments about those? If you go back to 30 in verse 18, takes a little bit different approach here in, in verse 18. If you go to Proverbs 30 and 18, it says, There are three things that are too wonderful for me, yes, four, which I do not understand. And then when you look at verse 19, it says, The way of, of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. So here you have four more things. There is this eagle, and I, I tried to read as much as I could about this to find different things, and it's interesting. Of course, you find 15 theologians in 15 different things. Uh, most people probably don't know what he was thinking. But there seems to be a consensus that it's just like that there is a common link here. That what these four things do, they don't leave a trace. And I've never thought of it that way. The more and more I read, they don't leave a trace. You know, when an eagle flies, it leaves no evidence on where it's been, does it? It leaves no evidence of where it's going. And he says, and I just labeled them different, that these are things that are, that are unbelievable and are too wonderful for me. When you look at Job 42 and verse 3, it's there, part of that says, things too wonderful for me which I know not. And, you know, the eagle is, a, is an important symbol to us, but I've never thought of it coming and going and not knowing where it's been, I guess, unless it's, some of, it's lost some of its feathers. And then when he goes a little farther, I know people don't like snakes, but when you think of God's creation, snakes don't have arms, do they? They don't have legs. You can, you can track them in sand, but how do you track a snake in the rocks? It's kind of interesting, a, a proverb that would talk about things that the common link is leaving no trace. So... With the snake, the same thing. And then it comes to a ship. I still don't understand, of course, radar, but I don't understand back in earlier wars how planes ever found those aircraft carrier. <laughs> I know you're nodding <laughs> because they didn't have radar to guide them. They had to go by. It's like me. I told somebody if I ever had to fly, I'd have to fly on the interstate you know, over the interstate and just follow it. 
But, but here it, it's saying that as it goes through the water, you can see what's behind it, can't you? But you can't tell where it's been, can you? And you, you can't really track it. We, of course, we have tracking ways now with sonar, radar, whatever. And, but it's interesting that he's setting these riddles up with things that we know about. And I'm sure he wasn't talking about an aircraft carrier back in these times. He was probably talking about a sailing ship. But look at how the Lord does things here. He uses things that we can understand, can't we? Even today. We can understand the snake. Most of us go the other way. You're not going to try to track the snake. Eagle, you might want to see where it goes, but sometimes they just show up. You can't find them. Same thing with a ship. We see a ship, but after it's out of sight, you're not sure which way it went. But the Lord's telling us to think about this and, and the beauty of something that you can't track. And he's saying, I'm not sure about this. I don't know if I completely understand this or not. Any comments about, about this so far? Probably the, the interesting part of this, which you can think about later, is he's talking about courtship here. And when he talks about this courtship, if you go to 30 in verse 19, it says, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on the rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin are the way of courtship, the mystery of courtship, the mystery of affection and attraction, and we know the Lord's involved. <laughs> There's no doubt there. But can you really put your finger on why this happens? You probably can't when you think about it. Deborah's not here, so I can't, you know, give her a hard time. But somebody has said, why'd she pick you? And I said, she wore glasses. <laughs> but, but I'm saying with courtship, we don't understand that, do we? How these feelings come about. But God's involved with our heart, isn't he? He's involved with our very being. And, and one of these riddles that, that he's saying that these are awesome things is this idea of courtship. Any, any comments about this so far? Well, let's get down to the root of turmoil starters. If you look at... Um, Proverbs 30, uh, 21, starting with 21, Proverbs 30, 21. There, for the three things the earth is perturbed, yes, for four it cannot bear it. For a servant when he reigns, a fool when he is filled with food, a hateful woman when she is married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. Now, how could these things, when you look at it, cause problems? A servant that takes over the reins, a fool that's full with food, a hateful woman when she's married. Some of you in verse uh, 23 
uh, might be a hated woman when she's married, uh, and a maidservant who succeeds her, her mistress. He's, is he telling us something here? I wrote on the last of these that he's really talking about social chaos, isn't he? When you think about it. The first one is the servant reigns, and here is a servant that has been a servant, and now they're in charge. What happens a lot of times with that? It's, it's called payback, isn't it? And it can be that they can be arrogant or overbearing. And the, the issue is here, it's not of what's happening but it's starting an issue, isn't it? It's creating an issue with this. When you look at the fool, we talked about the fool, like I said in the first uh, uh, lesson. It says, basically, he gets all he wants, but he's still a jerk about his prosperity, isn't he? He still doesn't understand where his prosperity came from, does he? The person that took over of, that was a servant and now reigns, who's in charge of these things? Who's in charge of the affairs of man? God is, isn't he? And, and they've forgotten this. And it causes what? More and more problems. At least that's where he's going with these. The next part is the hateful woman... Uh, talking about um, being married. What do you think that has to do with? An unloved woman. The things that I read is basically she is a person that hasn't been married, wanted to get married, was unloved, and she's hard to get along with. And once she gets married, what does she do? She takes it out on the other ones that aren't married. Which I had never thought of that, but I guess it happens. But here again are turmoil starters is what I called it. Um, it even though it says, for four cannot bear it, the things in earth. And then the last of the four was made a maidservant succeeds the mistress. And what is really happening here is sometimes it's a factor of really don't, they don't know how to act. They didn't take their training seriously and they don't know how to act and they're coarse and rude. What it's telling us a lot of things are is remember who butters your bread, Right. Remember, I, I was always told in, in, in our business, you don't need to make enemies with different people you work with because they could end up being what? Your boss. So you end up blending us people that are vintage, like Nate said. But here he, he gives us some things that, that people have changed their social order and I called it social chaos. Any comments on these? Yeah. 
Yes, ma'am. Rachel, I mean, you know, Leah just kind of lorded it over her that, hey, I've got these kids, but you don't have any. Ha ha, yeah, you, we probably don't even have written all of the conversations that happened. You're exactly right. Uh, Bruce over here. That we don't kind of put ourselves out of this we need to ask ourselves, and I'll stand at the head of the line, how many of us as new parents have ever said, I'm not going to raise my child the same way my mother and father raised? And you can insert spankings or whatever in there and see how well that turned out. It's the same in all of these. Absolutely. Of those who have no experience, who uh, saw it from the follower's side and never from the leader's side, and then try to do what in their heart they think they can do, uh, but they can't. And uh, we, we, we all need to be careful of this because sometimes uh, we who've had a low position are sometimes in there, and unless we ask for counsel, good counsel, unless we pray about it, uh, we're apt to be just like the coarse and the unlearned and the unskilled and the vengeful and all the other people mentioned in these four. And, and you've heard me say it many times, who's in charge? God. And it doesn't matter who we are or what position we have, who's in charge? It's God. But you're exactly right. We're seeing people, and, and every one of us, if you really think about it, Bruce brought it up, how many times have you seen people promoted that were not qualified? I mean, that's what's happening here, probably. I... I don't know completely, but that's what's happening. You know, don't tell me you know how to do it until you've walked in my shoes or you've dealt with what I've dealt with. Anything else? Well, the next part is a small but wise. If you go down in chapter 30 to verse 24, chapter 30 and verse 24, it says, there are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. Verse 25, the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in, in the summer. In verse 26, the rock badgers are, some of yours might say, a rock hydrax, um, different thing. Uh, some of them have called them conies. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags or in the rocks. 27, the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. Mine says the spider uh, skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is the king's palaces, but most of the renditions mean that it's a lizard. Uh, I mean, your Bibles might say the lizard does this. So remember when we talked about laziness and the slugger, you remember the first slide I put up was about what? Go and look at the ants, right? Well, here are small little creatures. They're not strong, but they make provision 
and they're not prodded to do it. And if you remember what I said, every time you saw ants, what were they doing? They were doing some kind of work, weren't they? They were busy. And I kind of take that the lesson, when you say small but wise, the lesson here is proper planning, isn't it? Or plan ahead so that you can be prepared. When you go to these um, rock badgers, they kind of look, and it might be hard to see that with the lights on, they kind of look like little rabbits with shorter ears. And they say that these animals, that when they come out from under the rocks, that they always have a guard. And the guard is watching out to see if anything's happening. And then I'm sure he makes or she makes a, a sound, and what do they do? They get back in the rocks and they hide. So they can't be caught. So you, you have to compass through the rocks to get to them anyway. And um, it's, it's rough so that they, they know what they're doing and that they're conscious uh, of their limitations, of, of just like the Bible says, uh, they're not very strong, they're small, and I kind of take it that it's showing us that they make wise decisions, don't they? They make decisions the best they can from the limitations, and it can come to us too, can it? Do we make the best decisions? We know some of us are not strong, but do we make provisions? I'm talking about godly provisions in what we do. So you can take it with the ants and with the rock badgers. The next one that they had, I don't know if you can see this guy, but he's completely covered with locusts. And they basically say the locust has no king, but yet shows discipline because they'll all go together in the direction and order and there's cooperation and unity because they come across in large numbers and they just clean it out, don't they? Nobody's leading, are they? But they all know where to go. And when I looked at that, I kind of took for us that they work in unity, just like I've got unity up here that they don't have to have somebody leading them. They know what they need to do, and they need to do it as a team, don't they? And they do it with order and cooperation. I wish it was dark. That guy's completely covered with them. I don't think I'd like that. The lizard. The lizard, uh, each, every one of us probably has had a lizard in our house, haven't we? You look at the ceiling, and he's crawling across the ceiling. How'd he get there? And then the wife starts screaming. And it says, adapt at getting places through determination and persistence. When you go to verse 28, it says, the spider or the lizard skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in the king's palaces. You know, it's not hindered by who you are. It's not hindered by your notoriety. It can go anywhere, can it, basically? And the interesting part with this is most of them, unless it's a Kimona dragon, which that's too big, but most of them are harmless, 
but they can still get in, can't they? And I call this perseverance, that the adaption or adapting from where they are, they use everything they have between the smallness, but yet being able to hold on, and kings can't keep them out. How can we? Any comments about this? Well, the last part, which we will get to, he basically, in Proverbs 30 and verse 29, it says, There are three things which are majestic in pace, yes, four which are stately in walk, a lion which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from any. Mine says a greyhound. Some of you might actually say a rooster. <laughs> does it say rooster? Strutting rooster. Same principle. Uh, a greyhound, mine says, a male goat and a king whose troops are with him. I don't know if you've ever been in a zoo close to a lion. I know you've seen Lion King on TV. But have you ever heard a lion roar up close to you? It'll make chills. I mean, go up and down. They are truly the king of beasts, and they walk. And it's interesting that he says he starts off with this lion, and we know that he is called the king of the jungle, isn't he? But yet, he knows who's in charge. He knows what to do and what to take care of. Now, the greyhound or the rooster is a strutter. But we know a greyhound, they're, they're stately, and so is a rooster that struts around. But a greyhound's a lot faster, isn't it? Probably the fastest dog we know of. I think um, there are some other dogs that are herders that are pretty fast, too. But the greyhounds are what was used to, for racing dogs. And, and he's saying these are majestic, not only in their speed, but the way they carry themselves. And here, it's interesting that the very last part as he comes here is this being majestic. And I, I still couldn't believe when I read it about a goat because I always think of the sheep and the goats, right? The sheep are on the right side, the goats are where? On the left side. But here it's, it's the, the majesty of the head of the flock, supposedly the courage of this goat. Um, I don't like to eat goat, but there is a majesty with this as the king, just like the king of beasts. And then the last part, and I got this picture of Caesar um, from an old archive um, that basically saying the majestic part of this is, is as these soldiers or as an emperor or as a king is in charge, when you, when you look at this verse 31, it's, it says a king whose troops are with him. Um, we can we can take it as majesty with the with our king with us being you know fully armed. When you look at this and you think of 
Romans 15, verse 4, and, and 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, these things were written for our learning and our admonition. We didn't say that, did we? Any comments before we close down? He was the alpha. Anything else? Thanks for your attention. <laughs>